you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hello, this is your host, Susan Rosen. I'm here bringing you the end of year podcast. So for this one, I thought I would kind of do one of my little miscellaneous and adding two or three different subjects onto the same one. So each of them are a little bit shorter than the usual that I do. And together it should be enough to be a podcast on its own. We're going to start today talking about women and green tea extract. It seems that there are a lot of women who have been taking green tea extract or using it in the hope of reducing their risk of breast cancer. And the reason that they've started, that they were starting to do that is because there had been some lab studies that had found that the green tea extract or at least certain polyphenols, which we've all heard of, in green tea could have anti-cancer effects. And supposedly there were some observational studies that found that tea drinkers overall have a lower risk of certain cancers and others have not. So there's no consistency across it with them. It was theorized that green tea extract might actually reduce cancer risk by altering the blood vessels of hormones and insulin-like growth factor, better known as IGF. Well, it turns out that there is or was a National Institute of Health funded study that was published in the Journal of Nutrition where some researchers decided to test whether the green tea extract actually did have an effect on particularly breast cancer. Well, they took, they had 538 postmenopausal women who were already at elevated risk, excuse me, for breast cancer because they had high breast density. And they had them take either a high dose green tea extract supplement or a placebo for a year. And interestingly, what they found, which was totally opposite of what they were expecting was that the green tea extract didn't alter the hormones or the IGF 
in a way that was consistent. I love the way they, they describe this. In a way that was consistent with reduction of breast cancer risk. And actually what they found was that the women who were taking the supplements had an increased blood level of estradiol on average, which is associated with increased breast cancer risk in postmenopausal women. And they found that in, in previous research that had been done. The placebo group just had their normal age-related decline in the hormone, which of course is what everyone would want. <clears throat> so what they came out with was that high-dose green tea extract, which is found in many weight loss supplements, can also and can also cause liver damage which I didn't know, according to a 2017 analysis of data from, let's see, the National Institute of Health's Drug-Induced Liver Injury Network. So overall, what they were saying was that taking that intense green tea extract, which has many, many more times of the green tea um, chemical, I guess, in it than just having a cup of tea every day is actually going to produce the opposite of what a lot of women want from taking, from, from drinking the tea and or trying to take this green tea extract. So if you or anybody you know is taking green tea extract and they are a postmenopausal woman and particularly even if they're not postmenopausal I think probably you could probably some woman who has uh, very dense breasts and they will know that because they will have been told that when they go in for their mammograms tell them to back off, just go with straight tea and don't overdo it because they're actually upping their breast cancer risk. Okay, I think I, uh, I milked that one enough. So let's move on to number two. Another one that was very interesting. I find all of these just absolutely fascinating Number one, that people are doing some of these studies. And number two, what they're actually finding from them. This one was in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine. And it is a study that was looking at specific, a specific class of medications that are called, and I'm probably going to garb, just wreck this totally, but it's anticholinergics, colon, cholinergics, kind of like choline in the middle of this book, of this word, to see whether there was a higher risk of dementia. And 
they actually did find that there is an association between this class of medications and um, more dementia. Now, these drugs are actually used to treat, uh, can't talk, are used to treat a wide array of conditions, everything from allergies, colds, um, high blood pressure, depression, insomnia, Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, COPD, and overactive bladder. So that is like all over the map. These drugs um, include diphenhydramine, which is better known as Benadryl. Um, let's see, what are some of these others here? There's bromfeniramine and phenylephrine, which is better known as Dimetab. Um, there's another one called, I'm just going to give you their brand names, which is probably what you're going to know what they are. So the next one is Cinequan, which I don't know what that's for. There's Paxil, um, Deserel, Remeron, Anablix, Toviaz, uh, Ditropon, which is, um, the brand name of Oxybenzone. Butanin. Uh, so anyways, there's a whole bunch of them here. All you have to do is look for something that's anticholinergics. So that's anti and then choline and then R-G-I-C-S at the end. So it turns out that these drugs, which as I say are used to treat a really large number of different kinds of conditions were found to be associated with a higher risk of dementia. And that's about as close as any of these people will ever say that it actually is related and could, could at some level actually cause um, dementia. So what they were saying was that if you do take one of these, you may want to talk to your doctor to see if there's another type of medication that could be used to treat your condition. Um, and then as they say, and, and I will say as well, you know, don't stop taking any prescription medication until after you've gone <clears throat> and talked about it with your doctor. Okay, I'm going to take a drink of water here because I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> okay, back now. So the last one that I wanted to talk about, I thought was very appropriate to the time of year. And this had to do with um, the question was, are New Year's resolutions a good idea if you're likely to break them? Which of course we all do. Their answer in this uh, newsletter from the Massachusetts General Hospital was that there actually are some reasons why, even if you think you're going to break your resolutions, there's some reasons why you may want to at least start out the year with some hopeful intentions. I think they think that they're probably going to 
um, up your brain's pleasure centers. It's going to give your mood a boost. It's going to get you off on the, <clears throat> get you off in the year on the right foot, if you want to call it that. Um, even if it's only temporary. The other thing they talk about is that if you keep making the same resolutions year after year, it shows that those goals actually are important to you, but it also shows that you just can't achieve them in the same way that you've been trying to in years past. You either have to get some more help or you have to look at it from a different point of view. You have to come up with some different way of approaching and accomplishing them this year. I know that I have some that I always think about, but I do have to admit that I have stopped even coming up with resolutions. I just do which something which they actually talk about in here a little bit, which is that you really don't need to do this at the beginning of the year. You can set resolutions at any time during the year and go through and achieve them and have that sense of completion and resolution. But if you're the type of person who needs that framework and knowing that all these other people, maybe you're going to be doing it with a friend or something, need somebody else or some kind of a framework <clears throat> to do this in, to really get you going and working on them, then by all means, do it January 1st of every year. Pick a goal for that year make sure that you actually do it. Don't, don't make a whole huge list because then you're just setting yourself up for failure. So if you just pick one or two that you know that you can do, and then you'll have that sense of accomplishment, which makes it even easier to do with new ones next year. And let's see, what else do they talk about here. Um, it also says that if you do keep coming up with the same resolutions and you still have not been accomplishing them, then maybe what you need to do is to take a look at yourself and the goal and see what it is that is keeping you. What kind of barriers are stopping you from accomplishing these goals and this achievement? And once you do that, then you can look at this and start this again. Maybe it would be in at six months. You can have a half yearly resolution. I don't know. But anyways, it's an opportunity for all of us to look at ourselves 
and our goals and how we are either accomplishing them or not accomplishing, accomplishing them and why that is. So that's my New Year's edition of this podcast. I wanted to also, at the end here, tell you what some of my plans are for next year, starting in January, is that I am going to be having a lot more people on to interview, people who are in the health and wellness area. And when I talk about wellness, it's not just health. It will be in all different kinds of wellness mindset or I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of people out there. I've, I'm have i in a, a group that I am a part of because of some software. Um, well, maybe software is not the right word. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's an education type of class. And there are a lot of really interesting people in there. And I plan on seeing how many of them I can actually get to come onto this podcast. So that's my plan. And like I always ask you, if there's anything that in particular that you would really like me to find somebody about or to find more information about, please be sure and let me know. I don't get any comments from any of you guys. So I guess everything's okay. Or maybe you're just not listening at all. I don't know. So that's it for today's show. Uh, Remember that I am not a doctor. This is not advice, medical advice. And if you have any questions, you should go to your own doctor and get his or her opinion and advice. That's it for me for today. I will look forward to talking to all of you next year. Happy 2020. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.